0: KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.
1: By the pricking of my thumbs,
2: something wicked this way comes. Something wicked good. Welcome back to listener supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. I'm Beth Akamondo. Joel Cohen's The Tragedy of Macbeth came in at number three on my 10 best list of 2021. It's breathtakingly cinematic and delivers Shakespeare's play in a kind of stripped down minimalist fashion that removes all excess props, scenery and even color. For a play whose language is soaked in blood, Cohen boldly renders it in stark black and white. Cohen, making his solo directing debut, stands his usual collaborator and brother, Ethan, gives us a version of the play that feels surprisingly fresh. So I'm excited to dive into the making of the film with two of its actors. Cinema Junkie's been on a season break, but when something this good comes my way, I'll share a bonus podcast like this. So when I had a chance to interview a pair of actors from Macbeth, I jumped at the opportunity. Especially since Joel Cohen seems a bit of a mystery in terms of how he works. He doesn't give a lot of interviews, and when he does, I often feel like he's pulling a con and can't be trusted to be telling the truth. I need to take one quick break, and then I'll be back to go behind the scenes of the tragedy of Macbeth.
1: Hear it not, Duncan, void it is a That summons thee to heaven or to hell.
0: KPBS on Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation. Presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs. Featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at CandlewoodArtsFestival.org.
2: Welcome back. Macbeth is Shakespeare's swiftest play. It moves with ferocious energy as it follows the downfall of its title character. Is this a dagger
1: which I see before me? The handle toward my hand? Let me clutch thee. I have thee not, and yet I see thee still. Art thou not? Fatal vision, sensible to feeling, as to sight. Or art thou a dagger of the mind, a false creation, proceeding from the heat brain? I see thee yet in form as palpable as this which now I draw. Thou marsh list me the way that I was going and such an instrument I was to use. Mine eyes are made of fools or the other senses are else worth all the rest. I see thee still. And on thy blade and dudgeon gouts of blood which was not so before. There is <laughs> no such thing. It is the bloody business that informs thus to mine eyes. Thou sure and firm set earth, hear not my steps which way they walk, for fear thy very stones prate of my whereabout. I go, and it is done.
2: In Cohen's film adaptation, the character is presented as a victim of both fate and his own bad choices. Supernatural forces lay tempting promises before him, but he chooses to take the actions that force him down an increasingly narrow path. And by the end of the film, when he faces Macduff, Cohen places their confrontation on the narrowest of castle battlements, with barely any space to move.
1: Macduff was from his mother's womb, untimely ripped. No curse be thy tongue that tells me so. I will not fight with thee. Then yield thee, coward. I will not yield. Kiss the ground before young Malcolm's feet and to be baited with a rabble's curse. O Burnham would be come to Dunsinane, and thou oppose. Being not a woman born, yet I will try the last. on, Leon dove, And damn be him that first cries old enough.
2: Denzel Washington plays Macbeth to Corey Hawkins Macduff. Hawkins has performed Shakespeare on stage and on screen before. When he first met with Cohen to discuss the role of Macduff, he was disarmed by Cohen's style.
0: One of our very first conversations, I remember him saying, you probably know more about this than I do. And of course, it's very sort of disarming and and it just shows the humility um, because of course, I don't know more about it than he does, but just the fact that he trusted me to come in there and do what my version of MacDuff was, and he he trusted that I could come in there and 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 hold my weight with this incredible cast, and and so I appreciate the faith that he sort of put that he put in in me, and just the collaboration throughout the entire thing, throughout the entire process was just. It's incredible. It's a dream.
2: And what kind of director is Joel?
0: I think he's he's just incredibly collaborative. He's a visionary. I remember the very first lookbook that he that, that so he gave us in terms of what the film would would look like, what it was, you know, just just early early, you know, imaginings of, of what it would ultimately the vision would ultimately be. And now that it's done, Looking back on it, it looks, I, I, I'm literally, I was going back through it not too long ago and I was like, not much has changed here. Like it really actually is is uh, as true to, to look, but, but that's, that's just a sign of, again, a great director, a great collaborator. The fact that Joel is taking the opportunity to dive into Shakespeare, to dive into this world is, is in and of itself incredible. He doesn't have to do that. You know, he, he, he has a legacy. He has, you know, opportunities to, he can write, you know, his own. So, so the choices that he made to actually go this way, this route are the marks of someone who's continuing to take risks and continuing to, to sort of expand. And those are the kind of people that you wanna work with, you know, cause that's, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna, you're gonna get something at the end of it and it's a risk you're taking. And, uh, and thankfully, you know, we got something great out of this one.
2: And did you see the final film? Because I'm wondering how it felt to see everything put together. Because, um, you know, acting in something is very different from actually seeing the final product.
0: It, it is. It definitely is. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, I, did, I did, yeah, I've seen it. Uh, the first time I saw it was New York Film Festival. I was just off of a flight. I was just off of like working on a set from like, um, you know, but but see it like, you know, in a big theater with all of these, uh, you know, with with a lot of people and and to share this sort of communal experience. um, It is different from making from 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 making uh, the thing. It's a it's a weird experience, but um, it was thrilling because it sort of lived in a different way that I thought. You know, it it, it it would have. I think, you know, it's one thing to work on it and be in front of the camera, but the, the beauty of, of Joel Cohen is that once he puts it in front of once he once he puts it on the screen, you experience it in a different way. That's his his mastery as an editor because he sort of shoots as he knows he wants to edit the film. And his collaboration with Bruno, our DP, it just came to life in just a very different way. And yet again, so reminiscent of the lookbook and, and that original vision.
2: Well, one of the things I really loved about it was it felt kind of like stripped down and minimal in a certain way. Like there's not props, there's not scenery, there's not even color to distract you. Um, and it just felt like I was, I love this play. It's my favorite Shakespeare. And I felt like I was hearing the lines kind of fresh in this environment.
0: Black and white. You know, there's the noir sort of element of it too, which is very Cohen-esque. You know, Shakespeare sort of Cohen before the Cohens were Shakespeare. You know, and the Cohens were Cohens, I guess. You know, there is something uh, to stripping it back because then it allows the nuance that each person brings to sort of you can imbue it with so much more, and the audience hears what they need to hear. You know, and whether or not you understand the language or you get this or that, you you definitely sort of follow you follow this, this man's sort of descent into madness, into, you know, just, huh, it's just, it's sort of heartbreaking, you know, cause you watch it, but it's uh, again, you know, the ratio aspect that he put it in as well. The The fact that it was sort of shot all on stage. So you're watching a play, but are you watching a play? <laughs> Are they outside? Are we dreaming at this point? Like, what is what is going on here? Like, what is actually really going on? And that's sort of the theme. <laughs> it's like, what is going on in this world? The madness, the sort of chaos, it, it just uh, is sort of art imitating life. And again, just that it's just beautifully, beautifully shot.
2: You can understand what's going on just through the visual look of the film. I mean, you feel like you're in this like weird supernatural ghost story and claustrophobic and
0: yeah yeah just speaking of that like you know just speaking of Catherine Hunter's you know mm-hmm. trail of the witches you know and what what they chose to do with the reflections you know there's one up and there's two in the it's just it's uh it's a film that you really do have to sort of sit with and see to believe it because it takes you on this on this journey where when you finish you're not sure which way is up and which way is down, you know, in this sort of mad world, it makes you think. It just makes you think about, you know, where we are and, and who we are, you know. The cast of characters, that changes, but, but the the plot, sort of human history, it just sort of stays the same. We keep making the same mistakes, we keep, <laughs> spending, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just these, this is just human nature. And just to see that captured artistically on film is a joy
2: now you've performed shakespeare on stage and on film and what do you think about this particular film that may make shakespeare more accessible and meaningful to a contemporary audience people who may just have a unwarranted fear of shakespeare well
0: first of all the reason people don't necessarily or have a fear of it is because they don't have access to it. And that access is not their fault. It's just sometimes, you know, people can't afford a $200 ticket to go see, you know, someone do it on Broadway, you know, and try to get to New York to see it or, or to their theater, their local theater to see it. And, um, and it's thrilling to see Shakespeare on stage, but that, and that's also dope that, that Apple is now doing is, is sort of putting it literally in the laps of, in, in the homes of everybody and saying, you have just as much ownership of this as we do. I think that, I've always thought that, you know, and and that this language, you don't have to get everything. You don't have to get every word. You don't have to understand every, but you challenge yourself to sort of go on the ride, right? You sort of challenge yourself to listen to the music of it and and just take it in. And then you start to realize things about yourself. I mean, it's it's sort of wild um, the poetry of it, and 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 how Shakespeare can live. There's no right way to do it, and I love the Catherine Hunter, who's one of the like, you know, greatest Shakespearean actors alive. We have talks about it all the time. I mean, here I am, this young black city, you know, kid from the city, and Catherine, who is this incredible, you know, force of Shakespeare, like that I wasn't really introduced to until later on in my life and in my career can have a conversation about how there's a new way of speaking Shakespeare that's starting to form, that American actors also have ownership of it, that uh, Black American actors have ownership of it, the white, you know, whatever, whoever you are, you have just as much ownership of this language and stories as anyone else. And we owe it to ourselves to, to, to indulge in that.
2: And what did you particularly like about playing Macduff?
0: I love that he is a good man. He's a good man. And sometimes it's really thrilling to, to play the villain, you know, because they're fun, you know, they, they, they're good characters. But there was something just appealing about the opportunity to go inside the mind of, of, of this man and, and, and what his sense of duty was, his morality, his uh, virtue. It's just, it, it's, 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 it's a lot. And it takes a lot to, to be that kind of person. You sort of wish that you, I, I sort of wish that I had those qualities. We try to emulate those qualities, you know, but thankfully I get to play them on screen, uh, <laughs> you know, to sort of show myself, uh, you know, but, but just the sacrifices that he makes or tries to make for his family. And then it ultimately turns around and, and, and you know, on him. Your castle is surprised, your wife
3: and babes Savagely slaughtered, to relate the man. We're on the quarry of this murdered deer to add the death of you. Merciful heaven. What? Man. gives sorrow words. The grief that does not speak whispers the o'erfraught heart and bids it break.
1: My children, too.
3: Wife, children, servants—all that could be found. My wife. Killed too. I have said. Be comforted. Let's make us medicines of our great revenge to cure this deadly
0: grief. He, he has no been. children. All, my pretty ones. Did you say all?
1: Oh, okay. All right, all. All my pretty chickens in the dam and one fell swoop, like a I shall do so, but I must also feel it as a man.
2: The character delivering the tragic news to Macduff is Ross. He's an interesting supporting character because he's listed in the stage directions as a Scottish nobleman, and he can simply be the bringer of news, both good and ill, as he's described in the play, or he can be given more agency depending on the staging. Cohen and actor Alex Hassel collaborated to make this Ross a fascinating player in Macbeth's tragedy.
3: He doesn't necessarily have much sort of character, usually. Joel, basically, to say my approach, Joel wrote this amazing screenplay version of of it. When I read it, all of the scenes in which he's in bar one, which we added as we were rehearsing, Joel had put already into the scene, so that was all his work. I have to say, when I first read the script, I was extremely excited by the idea of this different Ross, um, knowing the play very well, but I had no idea what Joel was intending, what Ross's agenda was, what his sort of function in the story was. It wasn't something that one could immediately kind of understand. And I think indeed, that's what we wanted to keep. We wanted the audience to not fully fathom um, what his agenda is, what he's trying to do to people, you know, what he wants. I think that's part of the pleasure of the character. But it meant that I had the great honor and pleasure of, of um, collaborating with Joel, trying to work out what this, this version of Ross was um, and why, what he does to the story and the sort of tension of the story. It was a, a, yeah, a great, great gift. And I think for people who know the play and watching the film, it creates a whole different sort of vein of tension through the uh, film in a way that kind of pays off brilliantly. Especially when the latter part of the play often is harder to keep tense because it kind of jumps between loads of different um, Scenes and I think this is a useful, you know, uh, sort of tool in that respect as well
2: So what kind of director is Joel Cohen? Uh, He seems a bit of a mystery from us on the outside But um, how does he work with you and, and what kind of specific direction did he give you about playing Ross?
3: Well, we rehearsed for three weeks, which was an amazing um, and unusual situation, and I'd say necessary in a film uh, in which you're using this language. So he, it, it, he's very, very open and very, very collaborative. He is obviously has, is in, immensely intelligent and has a, a very clear vision and really understands how to use the tools of cinema to tell a story, of course, but is very collaborative in terms of how you you create the character together we would mainly chat and then we'd do some scenes and then we'd both think about it. And then he'd say, you know, he could be, he, he doesn't have to not be sexy. And I was like, oh, wow, really? <laughs> I mean, I never, i not been in any way thinking, I was thinking, okay, okay. And then, uh, you know, we'd do it a bit more and he'd say, you know, have you considered that he could have these qualities? It, it would often be about quali- qualities that he should have, but also, <clears throat> We talk quite dramaturgically uh, in terms of this is the new information that the audience receive here. So, in the next scene, what if we just completely do the opposite of that or, or uh, uh, seem as if none of that was the case so that you're constantly meeting the character newly and therefore can't kind of quite get a grasp on who he is and what his agenda is. Um, so I thought much more from a director's point of view than I did from a sort of subjective character's point of view.
2: And did he ever say why he chose Macbeth, what it was particularly about the play that appealed to him?
3: So I think the reason that he did Macbeth is that Fran, Francis, did a production of Macbeth years ago. And I think they had some discussion about Joel maybe directing it then. and. And he said that he didn't have any knowledge of how to do that on stage. But it got him thinking about the play and then I guess seeing Fran in the play. And then I think she, I think maybe Fran kind of encouraged him into it. And then when the, I don't know about the idea, but when it turned up that Joel was going to direct something without Ethan, I think potentially a big part of it was that it, it was something that was very separate from the two of them. It was someone else's writing, um, and a very, very different style. So yeah, I jelled. Definitely never talked about any contemporary relevances or kind of messages that he wanted to send through making a film. I'm not sure that he thinks in that way. I mean, it's a really, really good play.
1: <laughs> it <laughs> and,
3: is. And uh, <laughs> you get some really good actors in it. And I think he and Denzel had talked quite a lot previously about doing something together. And it just, I think it quite, you know, when he thought about Fran and then, you know, Denzel is like, well, I mean, that's pretty good, isn't it? Um, so I'm sure that was part of it.
2: You've performed Shakespeare on stage and on film. And what do you think is kind of like the key to adapting it to film and making it accessible or meaningful to a contemporary audience who sometimes just for no reason at all is afraid of Shakespeare?
3: For me, the key is the same. The key for me is the first pattern the key for me is the use of iambic pentameter and what Shakespeare is giving you. Um, It can sound very intimidating and very alienating to talk about. Essentially, it's just basically a key, like the key to a map um, or time signature. It's not actually about pace, I would say, but it's like, here is how to understand my plays he sort of if you when you kind of get to grips with what iambic pentameter is it's essentially saying this is the best way to understand my language and once you understand how to use that as an actor it just gives you so much in terms of the clarity of your thought and how to communicate it to the other characters but also then also to the audience That for me that is the sort of be all and end all of my work when approaching Shakespeare So I think that makes it accessible in terms of you can understand what you're saying. I mean, the large, the large, the big task is trying to understand what you're saying and trying to allow other people to understand what you're saying. But in terms of Joel's what good Shakespeare on film is, I suppose, I think you should do something visual. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. otherwise why do a film? I mean, I think what Joel does brilliantly is, he actually, there's a lot of words in it. It's not like he cuts all the words and replaces it with language, he does to a degree, <clears throat> but he has created this, sorry, create, um, replaced it with visuals. What he's done is pack these visual images into the film, that sort of scorch your retinas, but they are all born out of this thematic or subconscious level of the play in a way that folds constantly back into the play and the tension of the play and the interior world of the play or the story rather and the language in a way that I think just thrums with tension, whereas maybe some other adaptations sort of let the air out of the language by the way that they use the visuals. It's a hard thing to sort of uh, put your finger on, but there's something incredibly direct, but also esoteric about what Joel has done that I think is amazing.
2: It felt on a certain level like it was very stripped down, like there are not a lot of props, there's not scenery, but it felt like clean like you were getting the the play kind of clean and fresh like just stripped down and bare and it was just amazing I loved it how did you feel when you saw the finished products because I mean I know shooting it can feel very different from you know what it ultimately looks yeah. like on screen
3: I mean I was pretty knocked out I mean one I've wanted to be an actor since the age of 12 and the reason I want to act is to to be in films like this or to be in work like this that I really believe is whether you like it or not or whether it's your taste or not or whether it is you know perfectly executed, it is an artistic endeavor. Um, I think it is entertaining, but it is really trying to, I don't know, Joe would say it's trying to, but it to me hits me in a place that good art hits you. It makes me question myself and the world it also it is incredibly recognizable whilst also being sort of alien uh, in a way that I think is, is um, really breathtaking and I'm very, very proud to be part of it, yeah.
2: And this production felt more like a ghost story or a supernatural tale than uh, most adaptations of uh, or interpretations of Macbeth have felt.
3: Well, I think there's something because of the theatrical nature of it, Again, everything is just, everything just folds into itself. All of the sound, the dripping and the knocking and Mm -hmm. the winds, the birds and the bell, it all feeds back into it. It, It's almost that you could boil down the images of the film to like five images. And I think that creates this sort of ominous supernatural element to it. Um, I mean, obviously, Catherine's performance, Catherine Hunter's performances, so sort of indelibly burnt onto you straight away that you you can't really forget that, but also the level of shadow, the the mm-hmm. the this idea that there's this darkness lurking, which is in the play, you know, he, mm-hmm. about blotting out the sun and kind of shrouding us in shadow, and there's an eclipse in the play that seems to go on and on and on. It it's all part of the language, and he's just realised it so brilliantly. I think the play has this massive, scary, supernatural element that is more just in the witches. It's in Mm -hmm. the dangerous things that the characters are thinking and feeling, um, that they might be connected to or be willing to do to get what they want. And I think that he's just pointed the finger at it even more directly with the imagery that he's used.
2: Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of Cinema Junkie. As I mentioned, the podcast is on a break and will return every other Friday in a few months. In the meantime, look for more bonus episodes and take this opportunity to explore the archives. You can find episodes devoted to past film adaptations of Macbeth and an exploration of why the play has a reputation of being cursed. There are also discussions with Sir Ian McKellen about adapting Richard III, plus Shakespeare scholar and Old Globe artistic director Barry Edelstein talking about some of his favorite screen versions of The Bard. And with Valentine's Day coming up, there's even a rapturously romantic podcast all about the films of Wong Kar Wai. So I hope you'll take the time to check out some of the more than 200 podcasts in the archives. Till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie.